0: been doing for a while now having the men in our church come and preach and uh, Mr. Forbes was going to do it a couple months ago but the virus pushed all of that back and um, I'll tell you what though I appreciate I, I, I still so appreciate him being here and, and um, it doesn't matter what kind of thing we're doing whether it's a service or uh, some kind of activity or whatever else Mr. Forbes is going to be there and uh, he's usually the first one there. Uh, prayer meeting on Saturday, you know, most of the time, people who get to 96, 97, like Mr. Forbes is, um, no, I'm kidding, but normally they get to his age, and and they're on the downside of things, and this is a time to relax, and just take it easy, and enjoy retirement, and everything else, but I tell you, and you know this to be true, but he jumped in, and he's a part of everything, and um, uh, 530, or 630 in the morning prayer meeting, Mr. Forbes is going to be there, Uh, you know, breakfast at 8 o'clock, he's going to be there. Most people would be in bed. If I didn't set it up myself, I probably would be too. But uh, I appreciate his faithfulness and excited to have him come preach for us. So, Mr. Forbes, come on up here and preach. Plastic the surgeon's What's that? Plastic surgeon's Just a
1: good dermatologist. Okay, well, the pastor didn't know this. But he just said I was uh, scheduled for March the 22nd and all the virus came on and so it's postponed. So three weeks ago, he asked me if I could do it the following week. I says, look, I'm really busy. I can't do it then. How about the next week? He says, can't do that. Jackson's preaching then. I says, how about the following week, which is today? That was a blessing. You don't know this, but today is my 68th wedding anniversary. I've been married 68 years and... Six and a half hours. <laughs> that was a gift from God. That's one of the things I want to talk about, gifts. I tell you, Thursday, I was all finished almost with what I was going to say. And I looked at it and I says, self, that's wrong. You can't talk like that. That's the wrong emphasis. It was the emphasis on what you talked about this morning, about what we can get from God and all the gifts. Extra things the things we don't need I says I'm gonna go the opposite direction. What can we give God? Or what does he want? And before getting into that, I'd like to say this It's my six eighth wedding anniversary And I can talk today But I want to say a few words that I think my wife would have said if she was here She would like this church she would like the friendliness the compassion the work ethic, the evangelistic, and the uh, service that this, the people do here. She, was, she would have been a wonderful worker for this church. I just want you to know that. If she'd been here, she and Rebecca, like you said this morning, could have written sermons for you. <laughs> she uh, accepted Christ at a, I don't know, several years later we didn't marry, but she was good all her life. And uh, she was a student of the Bible for all her life. She was very good at it. Her gift was truth. A lot of people would come to her with a Bible question and she'd give them an answer from the Bible and they could depend on it. And she was very, very helpful to a lot of people. And she could have written a sermon for me, I wish she had (laughs) because Thursday night, I said, this is not right. So I ditched most everything and put it together. And I thought, all my life I've been working against hard deadlines, impossible ones in our direction. And I said, this is a early time for the changes your sermon until Sunday morning. And I say, well, I've gotta do it. I might have to work day and night, tell then, but I'm gonna change it to what I think is right. You have to do what is right, no matter what the cost is. Luckily, or blessed, you might say, God let me finish on plenty of time, and I'm happy with what I have to say. You guys may not like it, but I like it. <laughs> okay. God has arranged my life in so many ways, I think it's a blessing that he arranged me to speak in tonight. Because he's been good to me and I want to tell others what he's done. I I used to think about heaven more or less in broad terms, like I'd be with Jesus, my Christian family and friends, no more sorrow, no more pain, happiness and goodness forever. But it's more than that. And I wanted to know more or less how it is because I do want to be with my wife again in heaven. And I was sort of curious how much I could find out that she would be experiencing and one of the things I saw or thought about was, you've probably heard of it. Is um, now this is not biblical, so I'm not trying to advertise this or pull, uh, push this, but a lot of those near-death experiences have a lot of things in it that, unless God has shown them that, I don't know how they could have known it. So I just want to show you a, a couple of experiences I read about because it does say that, uh, I was interested in what people would look like. Would you recognize them? Would you know who they were? Would you know who their friends were? What did they look like? And that's a couple here I want to uh, read to you. I, don't want, I couldn't memorize all this anyway, so. And this is a mother of a three and a half year old son who had open heart surgery. So I'll read what she said. But about two weeks after this surgery, my son started asking when he could go back to the beautiful sunny place with all the flowers and animals. I said, we'll go to the park in a few days when you're feeling better. Noah said, I don't mean the park, I mean the sunny place I went to with the lady. I asked him, what lady? And he said, the lady that floats. You didn't take me there, the lady came and got me. She held my hand and we floated up. You were outside when I was having my heart mended. It was okay. The lady looked after me, the lady loves me. It wasn't scary, it was lovely. Everything was bright and colorful, but I wanted to come back to see you. When I came back, I was awake, but I was up on the ceiling and when I looked down, I was lying in a bed with my arms by my sides and doctors were doing something to my chest. Everything was really bright and I floated back down. Later on, the mother said this. One day, I showed him a photo of my mother. She had passed away when she was my age, and he said, that's her, that's a lady. And here are things to take note of in, in that. It was a testimony from a very young child. He has no perceiving notions of what his soul looks like, no concept, of, no concept of death, and no reason to think of dead people or, any, or looking like anything. And very young children describe things in a matter of fact specific ways. If they see a ball, they call it a ball they see a pretty light, they call it a pretty light. If they see a person, they call him or her a person. They would not say a pretty light is a person even if it talked to them. With children, what you see is what you get. Okay, notice that this boy's story, he talks about spending time with a lady. He clearly remembered seeing a woman and not a man, which suggests that you could tell the difference between the two, either in the soul shape or in facial features that he was able to recognize a photograph of his granddaughter or grandmother as being the lady he saw is also significant. In this case, he remembered the appearance of his soul in the photograph and not the other way around. So the boy saw something that he recognized the visual as a person. Not only that, a person of a specific gender, and not only that, but someone who turned out to be a specific person whom he had never met. That's a very specific kind of look for his soul. Okay, that's the first one. I have one more. It's not quite as long as that works that same. Okay, this is called the Burpo Perspective. Okay, Colton. This has a name for it. This is what's named Colton also. So what about Colton Burpo? Colton is the son of Todd Burpo, a part-time pastor, business owner, voluntary fireman, and coachman in a small forming town of Imperial, Nebraska. The best-selling book, Heaven is for Real, tells the story of the family's unexpected plunge into a parent's nightmare when the Valerie and Colton suffered a burst appendix. The time was a trial to the family in every way and a test of the father's faith. But a few months after it was all over and the family was settling back in as much normalcy as they could, Colton made a surprise announcement. When asked if he remembered the hospital, the now four year old replied Yes, that's where the angels sang to me. This surprised his parents as no one had been singing anything during his entire stay. The family treated it as if an uninteresting comment until Colton added Jesus had angels sing to me because I was so scared. They made me feel better. I sat in Jesus' lap. The not yet preschooler then went on to describe an out-of-body experience to which he watched the doctor working on him, saw so his mother, Sonia, praying and talking on her cell phone, and his father praying in a small room. During the operation, Todd Burpo had indeed taken refuge in his small, unused room where he was prayed over his son's life-threatening condition. Not even Sonia knew where he'd been. That was not the end of Colton's story. Over the next several months, without prompting, Colton would share more details of his experience, including meeting Todd's grandfather, who had died before Colton was born, and whom Colton knew nothing about. At last, Todd determined to question Colton about what had happened, being careful not to lead or suggest anything, and letting Colton answer at his own pace. What came out was astounding. Colton described a place where all the colors are, that has animals and lots of kids. In simple language, he taught to see a red marker on Jesus' hands and feet. That Colton had never been taught about the crucifixion. The ben wings, the mine weren't very big, the meeting God and, and another sister. Sung had miscarriaged a previous pregnancy which Colton had never been told about and Sonia never discussed, and even stayed with his grandfather, Pop. When showing a picture of Pop in his later 60s, Colton didn't know who he was. But that prompted, he immediately identified a photograph of a 29-year-old Pop as being the man he met. One of the biggest surprises came in Colton informed his father, that God was three people, God, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit, even though the four-year-old had no previous concept of the Trinity. Okay. Now they are the similar things that they written. Now I'm not saying they're factual or true, but this is what they said and that's what it's this is in the books. Okay. Okay, now what I wanted to show those to you for is because it showed that the people that they were with the experience recognized the people that they saw in this experience. Now the Bible has a similar thing. In the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 17, 1 through 4, says this, And after six days Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth him up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as a sun, and his raiment was white as a light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. What happened here? The disciples immediately recognized these spirits as Moses and Elijah, even though Peter and and the rest had never met either one. There must be something about our soul that makes us readily recognizable to anyone as individuals, and not just any individual, but the individuals that are us. The soul appears to resemble the earthly body, and notice how Peter suggests building shelters for Moses and Elijah, perhaps to protect them from the weather. Think about it for a minute. Would you recognize a blob of light as either Moses or Elijah, or needing shelter from the sun, wind, or rain? Don't think so. I think Peter and others saw the two spirits as people, heads, hands, bodies, feet, the whole person, and Peter decided on what a person appreciates in a hot, sunny climate a nice shaded garment guziba to under. Why? Because our souls look a lot like our bodies. Okay. So if our souls have bodies that look like our own, will these bodies be fat, thin, young, old, handsome, or beautiful? Don't let it concern you because God has promised to make our spiritual bodies perfect. Philippians 3.20-21 has this to say. For our conversation is in heaven from which also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change their vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his Lord's body, according to the work in whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And will we know one another? 1 Corinthians 13:12 says this, For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face, now I know in part, but then shall I know even as I also am known. From these verses, I believe we'll recognize one another in our perfect and glorified body. Okay. Then what is heaven going to look like? That was a people, and this is what it's going to look like. Well, start with acknowledging in many ways that heaven is indescribable in most of the details of the Bible, about the heaven were intentionally left out of the Bible. I don't think that's because God doesn't want us to know I think that's because things are so beyond our imagination that we can't even think about them. And just think about it: in these days, back in the in the, in the tribulation, in the, in the tribulation, or just before that, the two witnesses lie, was lying dead in the street for three and a half days, and then three and a half days later, they rose and was, went to heaven. Now. They also says that the people in the nation, the tongues all around them could see that or knew that. At that time there was no television, no photography like they have today and to them that would have been an impossible prophecy but today it's everyday So We can see things happening right now all the way around the world instantly. So I think in the future when we go to heaven things are going to be so, so unimaginable and so great that God would waste his time telling us because we could not imagine it. Anyway, I don't uh, I'm not downplaying all the good things that God has when I say that I was looking at it from the wrong side, like what God gives us but what we can give him. I just, give one, I just want to give one illustration because he's promised us a mansion beyond anything. And, Joshua, can you show the first one? I want to show the three richest or three most valuable homes or buildings in the world today. The three most valuable ones. What would be the third one? Okay, that one's in the, uh, that's called the Villa Leopolda in the French Alps. $750 million is the value. Number three country, number three value home in the world. You might take a, just see what, just take a look and see something there that you might think is not described in the Bible. In the next one. The next one. Okay. That's in Antilla in Mumbai, India. One billion dollars. Number two, number two, valuable building. i look and shape it. Anyway. And the number one expensive value home in the whole world. Number one. Buckingham Palace. $2.9 billion. Did any of y'all see in those pictures here a clue to why there are chicken coops compared to our mansion in heaven? Okay, I'll tell you. Those streets are not paved in gold. So that's just an example of what God has got planned for us that's nothing compared to what we're going to have. So I'm not damn God's gifts to us, but what I'm saying is, what does God expect from us to him? Okay. It so, says, so how do we know that we're going to have a mansion in heaven? How do we know that? It's a bit, God has promised that very thing. Here it is in John 14, 2 and 3. In my Father's house are many mansions, if it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And what God has promised has always happened or will happen. I don't know whether you know it or not, but there are over 300 prophecies in the Bible concerning Jesus that has happened And the only prophecies right at this point that haven't happened or the ones concerning the second coming. And when he comes in, you'll be assured he will complete them all. All things will be set right. Okay, in 1 John 17, 17, very short verse, thy word is truth. Okay. In heaven is not a happenstance, just just idle or side glance from God or whatever. It happened from the beginning. Matthew twenty five, thirty-four says this. It was prepared for us from the very beginning. Then shall the king send to them on his right hand, come you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. God was saying that Jesus was saying that when God spoke the universe into existence, God began to plan heaven at the very time. He knew we were destined to live on earth for a long time. He knew we'd each have a limited number of years and then we would die. And heaven is, ex- it is, is the eternal home God made for the believers. Matthew 5, 12 says, Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Okay. Now, what are some of the rewards? Now, this is where I was trying to get away from because this is what they were, we think we're going to have, but I think the important thing is what we can, Give God. I'm going to, I'm going to skip What some of the rewards and go to this. God loves us and wants us to love him. He wants fellowship with us. Right at the beginning, he had fellowship with Adam and Eve. He walked with them in the garden in the cool of the evening. And I imagine they had some very interesting conversations. One of them was naming all animals. And I imagine that God had a few chuckles when Adam was naming all animals. Adam, Adam, where did you come up with that word? Does the animal look like that fits him? I wouldn't be surprised if God didn't change that word that Adams chose. Okay, here's something we always share too. Are there pets in heaven? If your pet is a horse, you, Revelation 19, 11, 14 has the answer, Gibbs and money. <laughs> now I saw heaven open and behold, a white horse, there's a white horse there. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And here's another clue here. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. So everyone in heaven has a white horse apparently. Okay. I mentioned a while back too that uh, talking about Adam changing naming the word, naming the animals. God also does that. I'll give you an example, but also I've done that. I think probably a lot of people do. Since so I mentioned earlier that children describe things as exactly as they see them, I've done the very same thing. I named three of my dogs that way. My first dog was a very young puppy. So what do you call him? His name is Puppy. Okay. Next dog was the dog with red hair. His name, Red Dog. <laughs> the next dog I had was a white dog. Anybody guess what I call him, Snowball. <laughs> yeah, I think this runs in the family. Bonnie has a few names too. Okay, she had a, she has a dog named Augie. You know where he came from? Saint Augustine. She got him on her trip when she's visited in Florida. Just a few, how many years, or how many months back you got that cat, the Calico cat? You know what's her name, Calico cat? Callie. When she was small in high school, she had a blue parakeet. His name? Blueberry. Okay, one more. My youngest son in California in high school had a dog, black, with really bright blue, shiny eyes, very pretty, sparkling eyes, her her name is Crystal. So all these naming goes in the family, but also God has one too. In Matthew 25, 31, 34, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and the holy holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another, as the shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, you blessed my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Then, verse 46 is for the ones on the left, and they shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Um, I want to tell you when I started this talk, I want to show up to tell th- things that Bob in the score, but the more and more descriptions of God's wonderful plans may cause to rethink the situation. It just, it isn't just what we want, what does God want? Matthew 23, 37, 38 says, Jesus said unto him, then shalt lo- thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy so in all my mind, this is the first and great commandment. He just wants our love. All those gifts he gives us really don't mean anything unless it's the gift of Jesus. He gives that most perfect gift of all, and we—I uh, think—we overlook some of the things that he gives us. We just look, say, "This is what he's given us," but what does he want in return? I think the greatest gift of him is for us to love him and do his will, and that's uh, the greatest gift he could have. When he made this world, I don't think he made us as a robot to automatically love; he gave us free will, and we we need to really uh, use that free will to love God for all the things He's done for us. Even though the gifts are very good, that's not the important thing. It's the love that it's shown. In my life, I'll give you an example here. I'll show you one thing. This is valuable to me. You might not think so, it's a little piece of cellophane. It's a wrapper from a candy box. Shraff's Chocolates. This thing is over 78 years old. It was in the scrapbook my wife made when we started dating. She did it from the very first day. I didn't know it until we got married. She had two scrapbooks. I guess she's making sure I had all my promises kept up or whatever. (laughs) But anyway, I gave her that box of candy Two days after we met, I probably thought she was unattainable anything I could to get her attention, to like me, whatever. (laughs) So anyway, I did not know she kept this candy box wrapper for that many years. But it was a gift that she cherished. It wasn't the candy. It was the thought behind it. So I think God is the same way. It's not the uh, gift itself. It's just the thought. So I am I'm only going to tell you this, but I think it's worthwhile. Thursday, I was having second thoughts about what I was going to say. And in the mail, I got a book. Right here, it's right here. I hadn't ordered it. And I looked on that address. There's my name. Address is perfect. And here it says The biggest line of history of Christianity. What's unusual about that is? there's a letter in here also. It's from a guy named Matthew Kelly in North Palm Beach, Florida. I never met him. I don't know who he is or anything. He says, hi, there's something wonderful about an unexpected gift at an unexpected time. There's a gift, you know. Many Christians no longer believe we can change the world. Too many think that cultures become impenetrable but the truth and beauty of Jesus' life and teachings are as powerful today than ever before. I see this beauty alive in the holy moments of Christians living their faith every day. Each month I mail copies of this book to a handful of people I've never met. It is a book about truth and the beauty of the human spirit and we collaborate with God to create holy moments. I hope it fills you with a new and contagious hope. The world needs changing. Everybody knows that. We are called as Christians to change the world, and I would suggest that if it don't change the world, it won't change, at least not for the better. What does the world need? Holy moments. What aspect of life and society would not benefit from a few holy moments? What is a holy moment? Well, that's what this book is really all about. Yes, it d- discloses the biggest line in the history of Christianity, but what you will discover by the time you reach the end of the book is that it's really a book about truth and beauty. May God bless you and all those you love, and may your life be filled with love, laughter, and dreams come true. Now, what's so unusual about this? You might not believe this, but several, several three or four months ago, I had a dream. I was sitting in my apartment sofa, and I was reading a book. It's called The Biggest Lie, and here's the book it looks like. Now, don't tell me God been working mysterious ways. I was so shocked and surprised because here's a guy who says he never met me. I never knew him. He has my correct address, he has my name. And you, you read the, I told you what he says in the book. So unexpected gifts come in different packages, but the biggest gift we can give is to do things for God. He wants our love. So if we love God, we will obey him, follow his commands and do his work. That's it.
0: I want to kind of just piggyback on that because there's a lot of um ideas turn in your Bible to Jonah real quick I'll give you a second to get there and um I'm not going to re not 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 even going to re-preach the message or try to add a whole new message to it or something else but Mr. Forbes mentioned the idea of uh you know uh people having heavenly experiences and all that stuff, and, and uh, we have kind of glimpses of that here and there. Um, you see that obviously the entire book of Revelation was written because John went to heaven, um, and the Bible doesn't call it an out-of-body experience or a uh, or a near-death experience or something like that. But um, just something to kind of whet your appetite in here. But in Jonah chapter two, um, Jonah died, I think. Um, Jonah was in the belly of the whale for three days and three nights. Um, you can't live in the belly of a whale for that long. And, uh, you know, a lot of people, oh, the story is just made up because you can't live that. So, I mean, it, the, the, the great fish that Jonah was in, even if it was in a whale, even if he was in an actual whale, um, would have had a hard time living in that. In, uh, in that. And, and in fact, it says this in verse number two. Um, Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord and he heard me out of the belly of hell cried I and thou heardest my voice you go down to verse number 6 I went down to the bottoms of the mountains the earth with her bars was about me forever yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption O Lord my God when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in, unto the into thine holy temple, and it goes on. Uh, I mean, there's no evidence that Jonah went to hell during that time, but there's a possibility that he did. You know, and there's there's other possibilities of things that are talking th- that are like that, and and it's always to me. I mean, there's been plenty of books that have been written. Uh, one was called "90 Minutes in Heaven." Um, this guy died and, and went to heaven for 90 minutes and didn't want to come back, but God said, it, you know, you're coming back. And he wrote about that whole experience. And obviously, I mean, there's plenty of fiction books out there, uh, plenty of things that people have uh, written that are just completely made up so people can make these stories up. But the things that gets me is when you have these little kids that, um, like, uh, so so let me let me, let me me tell you a little bit more about that story. You don't have to stand up here if you don't want to. I'm going to sleep one day. Okay, sure.
1: I had, one, I had one more slide I wanted to show you. Oh, okay. Okay, take it. Sure. And it says, you know, it's John 3.16. Mm-hmm. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Okay. Got it, John? Yeah.
0: Amen. That's good. Yeah, that's good. And I'll tell you, um, <clears throat> the story that he was telling about Colton Burpo, is, is It comes from a book called Heaven is for Real. And maybe you've read it, maybe you have not. But Colton, um, uh, basically the doctors lost him on the operating table. And, and that's the story that he was telling about. And uh, he... I mean, he grew up in a pastor's home, so it's a possibility that he had heard all of this stuff before and, you know, he was able to talk about it because his dad had talked about it in messages or whatever else. But there's plenty of other things, even some of them Mr. Forbes mentioned, that um, there's no way he could have known about. He talked about his grandfather, he talked about a couple of other things, but he said while he was up there that he saw Jesus. And his father was very interested in that, very skeptical about that. Did he actually see Jesus, or was this just some kind of image, or was he hallucinating or having a dream or whatever else? And so uh, his dad was a pastor, and so he started, uh, just a little bit at a time, showing him pictures. Is this what Jesus looked like, you know, long-haired Jesus and all that stuff? That's what everybody always pictures him as. No, that's that's not who I saw. That's not Jesus. Jesus took me by the hand and led me through heaven. And he said, uh, found another book. Is this Jesus? No, it's not him. That's not what he looks like. Uh, what about this one? No, it's not him. Well, his dad was sitting in his office one day, uh, just kind of the same thing, just, just trying to research this stuff and see if there's actually something to him talking about these things. Is there a possibility that somebody could go to heaven, see heaven, see what, it's, what it looks like and everything else? And so he was, he was researching some things on the internet, and um, Colton came walking into his office. And he had a picture up there on his computer screen, and he said, that's, that's the man I saw, that's Jesus. He's the one that took me by the hand and led me all the way through heaven. And turns out that what it was, was this, this was a girl who was 12 years old, who lived in Russia, she was a Russian girl, and had actually basically had the exact same experience. She was, I forget her name, it's Anna something, I I can't remember, it's a Russian name. Uh, But she came back from this near-death experience at like eight or nine years old that she had had, and she was a phenomenal painter, Uh, had painted a bunch of things, but she saw Jesus the same way that Colton had seen Jesus when he was up in heaven. And that was the image that was up there on the screen when Colton walked in and said, that's him. And this is the picture that she painted of what Jesus looks like. And if you want to talk about a picture, and I don't know if this is Jesus or not, obviously, but you want to talk about a picture of, of a Jewish man, that's about as Jewish of a man as you can get. And this girl is 12 years old. It's not like she went to Israel and saw Jews walking around and came back and painted this, but she painted this picture of Jesus. And Colton came walking into that room, and that's the image that was up on the screen that his dad was looking at when he said, that's Jesus. That's him. He's the one that took me by the hand and led me through heaven. So interesting. Makes you wonder, you know, if, if, if there is something to that. I, I don't know if this is what Jesus looks like or not, but I can tell you this. He's not handsome. And the Bible says in Isaiah that there is no form nor comeliness, meaning there's, it says, there's no form nor comeliness that men should desire, and in other words, Jesus is not some big, strapping, handsome-looking dude that everybody wants to follow, he's just not ugly, but comely, you know, nothing in him that would be this, you know, people want to follow him because of who he is, and the strength that he projects, and all of that stuff, you know, um, and, and so who knows, who knows if that's him or not, but I think there is something to some of those stories and uh, certainly the fact that John went to heaven and uh, was led up there. Paul went to heaven and and saw things that he said he couldn't even describe. Um, Were those guys in near death experiences? Not particularly necessarily but God allowed them to get a glimpse and still come back to earth you know. So who knows? I I don't know if there's anything to it or not but um, uh, it's still an interesting thought it's still interesting to think about and you know the Bible gives us a glimpse into what heaven is like when you read in Revelation. And like Mr. Forbes was saying, I think some of them, is so it's just such, a, uh, such an amazing place that we can't even really, our, our minds are too finite. We can't comprehend those things. And so even some of the things that the, that the Bible talks about, you know, a gate made of pearl, solid pearl, you know, we can't even comprehend that. Pearls are, are this big. You know, streets made of transparent uh, gold that is so fine that it's like transparent glass. It doesn't even—it doesn't even—we can't even comprehend that, you know. And that's just the tip of the iceberg when it comes to those things in the way that that the Bible describes heaven. Um, And you know, I think I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make—and I'm done. I'm not gonna—I'm not gonna drag this on. But I think one of the biggest mistakes that we make is that we so undervalue and underestimate heaven and eternity, and God. Um, We have these views of what those places are going to be like. We have the views of what God is going to be like. But it's all based on what we know. And, oh, yeah, heaven's going to be a wonderful place. I can't wait to get there, but I've got so much that I want to do on this earth before then. I don't want to go. If we really knew what heaven was really like, and if we had a really true concept of who God is we wouldn't want to spend another second on this earth. And the minutes that we do have, the hours, the days, the years that we do have on this earth would be spent living for eternity. If we had the right concept of God and the right view of heaven, it would change the way that we did everything. Just like we talked about this morning. If, if we truly know Christ, it'll, it'll change everything about us there would be nothing that would want to make us live for this earth. It would want us to, we would want to live for eternity in every second of everything that we did, if we really knew who God was. And I think it would be such an amazing experience to be able to go to heaven and see those things, but we have that promise, and we have a glimpse of it already, and yet we still don't live for eternity so many times. I wonder if that's why God doesn't give us more of those experiences where we can go to heaven and see it come back, you know? It's like like the the rich man in Lazarus, right? The rich man said, send somebody to my family so that they can know not to come to this horrible place. And what did Jesus say? They got Moses and the prophets. They have the Bible. If they're not going to follow the Bible, they're not going to follow somebody that came back from the dead, right? We have what God needs us to know. We can imagine everything we want to imagine. Heaven's going to be so much more wonderful than we can even comprehend. But that ought to make us live for Christ even more. That ought to make us want to know Christ even more. And is there a near-death experience that, that people can go to heaven? I don't know, possibly. Very possibly. I mean, it's hard to discount some of these stories when there's so many of them. And the kids are so little when it happens and when they're talking about it, they don't know what they're talking about. But we need a a view of who God is. And we need a a view of what eternity is really going to be like. And it'll change the way that we live on this earth. Appreciate the message. It's a good message tonight. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll close in prayer. And then we'll have a time of invitation. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. What a blessing it is to be able to be here. I thank you for the message tonight. What an encouragement it is. We're going to see you someday. We're going to be in heaven someday. And on the timeline of eternity, it's not long. It's not long. God, I pray that you'd help us as Christians to live the way that you want us to live so that we might impact this world for you. I pray that you'd help us to live for eternity, that we live with eternity in view, and that everything we do with every minute of every day would be toward eternity. God, I pray that if there is a decision that needs to be made tonight, to help move us in that direction that we do it. Thank you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. As the piano plays, the invitation is over.